Our Old Testament scripture reading will be from the book of Genesis. We'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and then chapter 49, verses 8 to 12. Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. In chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He scooped, stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. As far as the reading of God's holy word. Good morning. So we are going to read from Matthew chapter 1, first 18 verses. Hi, Helen. Helen, can you hear me? All right, and before we, before we read, let's, let's pray. Lord, let us never say that you have not revealed yourself to us. For you have given us a word, and you have given us the word, the word of Jesus. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to be mindful that the flowers fail and fall. And men return back to the dust, but the word of our God stands forever. So may it stand forever amongst us here today. Bless your servant and your servants so that we would grow and mature and be faithful followers of the Lord. And we commit this now unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Word of God, Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab, 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 you know what I'm saying, uh, begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. 
Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Elihud, and Elihud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Matan, and uh, Matan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Amen. May God add to his word as we consider it here today. So it is now Advent on, or in the Christian calendar. So happy Advent to you. And I begin by saying, yes, the Christian calendar. As we shape a view of the world... We structure time and the calendar in terms of God's acts in history. I think the date is today, November, is it the 5th? The 4th, sorry, well, we're getting there. November 4th, but that's not my point. In what year is it? The year 2022 of our Lord. That is that all of history has been accounted for in terms of what God has done in history. And part of the war that we have with Satan is over time and the calendar. You are here today on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Some are not here because they have not set aside time in a manner that God would have them set aside time. And no, we don't have an inspired calendar like they did in the Old Testament, but we do have a tradition, and a good tradition, with respect to, to uh, Advent. And that tradition, or we don't begin, I'll say in quotes, the Christmas season with Black Friday. The calendar is not neutral. Right? Black Friday meaning what? That retailers will be in the black, that they will make money, and you, if you are dumb, will go into debt. And of course, that doesn't begin in or the Friday after Thanksgiving, but now it's October or whenever. And Advent is not one party after another, mistletoe, drinking, and egg, eggnog, but rather, historically, it was a period of relative sobriety, that is a serious time to consider and to reflect the reason for the season, so to speak, so that today 
you will be worried about today, that is in our age, you'll be worried about how much weight you'll put on over, quote, the holidays. But historically, Advent was actually a season for refraining from eating, for, that you would fast. All of the idea that I am hungering and that I am thirsting for the coming of our Lord. That it was a way to prepare and a way to see life. So we're going to consider that today in light of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and how we might hunger for Jesus to finally arrive and and focusing on the genealogy we're going to focus some on what I call the naughty, the, the naughty girls or the bad girls. But I will explain what I mean by that eventually. So it's interesting. You finally get to the New Testament, and you think no more of those boring portions of the Old Testament. Right? You open up Chronicles, and Chronicles 1, 1 Chronicles 1, there's a genealogy only to be followed by 1 Chronicles 2, which is another genealogy only to be followed by 1 Chronicles 3, which is another genealogy. And there are about ten chapters there, and of course, those are not the only only genealogies. And then the New Testament begins with a genealogy. And it's important and critical, which we'll explain some Uh, today, and it's not really as boring as it might sound. It's not really as boring as it might sound, unless love, deception, murder, adultery, prostitution, and worse is boring to you. It could be a Netflix series. I'm not suggesting that you would have Netflix, but I'm saying that it would qualify. And I say that not to be funny, but there's a reality. There's a reality uh, to that. So, Let's consider, uh, let's consider Matthew 1. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and then earlier than that we read Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, by Tamar. So, the book of Genesis, if you wanted to summarize the book of Genesis in one word, you could say Abraham, or you could say Abraham and his descendants. Abraham and his descendants. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And Jacob has how many sons? He has 12 sons. So you have, there you have the outline of the Bible. right? And that, in the 30 seconds, there you have an outline uh, in the Bible. And that one of those sons would be Judah. And that's why Elder Chris read from Genesis 49 in that genealogy, if you will, where Judah would rule. He would be a ruler and bring about a rule. And another way to summarize the book of, of Genesis is to say that it is the book of genealogies. Because you have genealogies over and over uh, again. So, when we have this account of Judah... Judah, in the account, now I'm talking about in Genesis, we haven't read this, but I'm going to make reference to this, that he says to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, he says, you are more righteous than me. You, Tamar, are more righteous than me. 
And he said this publicly. And suggested, I say suggested, we'll put that in quotes, that she should be taken out publicly and be burned. And when you are burned, you are burned to death. That she should be, that she should be uh, executed because he thought that she played the, he, she played the harlot. So, the story goes, the story goes is that Judah gets married and has three sons. Right? Remember we said the book of Genesis is about genealogies and a seed, a seed from Abraham. Where is this seed all going? Well, Judah's first son didn't make out so well. And if you recall what happened to him, that he was killed on the spot for being wicked. Dead by the Lord. The death penalty, you could say. And, if you will, the tradition or the requirement was that that the second son would marry the widow of the first son, and that being Tamar, and they come together, and God ends up being upset with this second son and kills him also because he would not provide a seed. And there's a longer story to that, but we're going to keep this a PG-13. If you want to read this account, it's in Genesis 38. You can read it this afternoon for a good Lord's Day reading. So now Judah's got two sons, and he's 0 for 2. His two sons are dead. Son number one, dead. Son number two, dead. Now if you're the father, you might say, what should I do with son number three? This, is, this seems like it's a pattern. right? This seems like it's a, a, a pattern. And what ends up happening, he says, I'm not going to give son number three to this Tamar because it doesn't seem like it does us too much good. So, in time, Judah's wife dies. And we can uh, say that he became lonely. I say that somewhat figuratively. He might have been lonely, but uh, more th- than that. Becomes uh, lonely. And during this time, Tamar, who has been denied the right of a husband who would, be, who would provide for her, that it was her, she didn't have social security benefits. That was, this is God's way of providing for uh, those who are, are widows. She dresses like a prostitute, becomes pregnant by a man who did not have cash with him, and gave as security a signet and a cord and a staff. And at this time, Judah hears that the head, uh, Judah as the head of Israel, hears that Tamar, Tamar is with child and says, she should die. She should die. She deserves death. And she then comes, right? And she goes before, he goes before, she comes before Judah and says, do you know who impregnated me? Do you know who the guilty party is? That guilty party gave me a signet and a cord and a staff. And she shows it to him. And at that point he says, you are more righteous than me. 
Who owns this signet, this cord, and this staff? You are more righteous than me. Bam! Wham! I didn't find those words in any commentaries. But that is a story. He is cut down. He is humbled. He visited the prostitute. And this then is part of the story of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not some just seedy story that you say is out there, but this is the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, the story of the mother or the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, it is jaw-dropping. Boaz by Rahab, Boaz, uh, Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David uh, the king, David the king begot Solomon uh, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You remember Nathan? The prophet? The story all over again? The story that Nathan tells tells David, and Nathan, uh, Nathan uh, says, you know what, let me tell you this story. There was a rich man, and that rich man had it all. And there was a poor man, and this poor man had nothing. But he did have a lamb, and he loved that lamb. And that rich man came and took that lamb from the poor man. And what does David say? He should die. Whoever did that should die. And then one of the greatest lines in Scripture, one of the greatest lines in Scripture, Nathan says, you are that man. You are that man. And he tells the story, or we read in the account where where God gave everything to David. He had it all. He was the king. He was successful in battle. And the account says, and if he wanted more, I would have given it to him. If he wanted more, I would, I would have given it to him. And it tells us something about the human heart. That the one thing that he could not have, another man's wife, is the one thing that he demanded. The thing that he could not have is the very thing that he demanded. And today's sermon isn't going to go down that road particularly far. But watch your heart. We want that which we can't have. David took Bathsheba, stole Bathsheba, another man's wife, and then killed Uriah, the king and the king of Israel.
Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Most of you know, maybe all of you know, that Rahab's profession was what they call the oldest profession in the history of man. This is not to defend such a profession, but if a woman is not provided for, it puts her in a very difficult position. Think of Tamar, something similar to that. So if it wasn't enough for the genealogy of Jesus Christ to have a pretend prostitute, an adulterous woman who had David, King David, kill her husband, now we have a prostitute in the line. Notes here, wow. Wow. That's, that's quite a story. If nothing else, the Bible, when you consider the Bible, it is painfully honest. It is not this, this fairy tale of everything is nice and everybody is happy and everybody is holy and so forth, but lays out before us with transparency all the sins and the wickedness, even here, even here of the people of God and, and the, uh, the genealogy of, of, of Jesus. So what's happening in the text here, uh, there are a lot of things happening, but what we're going to focus on, what's happening in uh, the text here, is that the language, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that's how it, that's how it, how it, how it begins, is mimicking the language, the Greek language, if you had the Bible in uh, the Old Testament in Greek, in the Septuagint, it's, it's mimicking the language of what Elder Chris had read, that we now have a new Genesis, that is that Matthew is mimicking a Genesis, and saying that there is now a new beginning. That there is a new beginning. Genesis has nine uh, genealogies. And now you have a new genealogy. And this genealogy is about Jesus. And He has come to make things all things new. To renew the world. To renew the creation. To renew to renew you, and Genesis 5.1 and Matthew 1.1, or Genesis 5.1, yeah, Matthew 1.1, they tie together, and we could call this the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. And I made mention of three women who had, let's just say, delicate sexual situations The point is not to, if you will, pick on women. There are men in this genealogy who are more wicked than any woman. Anybody know about Manasseh? He was evil. He took his children, 
and sacrifice them on the altar. So the, the point here is not, is not something against uh, women and as though there's some tension between men and women. And the quote that I will give you, uh, that even as we teach the husband is the head, but the wife is the crown, not the neck. She influences the mind of her husband, not manipulates him. She is his glory, not his shame. What's happening with these women, with these delicate, what we'll say delicate situations, is that they were either Gentiles, that is outsiders who came in, or in the case of Bathsheba, they were married to a Gentile despite their sin, despite their shady background, God called them in. So you have this new genesis, this new genealogy leading to Jesus, which is worthy of a Netflix movie, as we suggested. But what's at the core of, of our, at least our point here, is that God was bringing in Gentiles into the covenant, even when they had less than stellar, a less than stellar resume. They were sinners. So that's what's happening, or what we're going to focus on here. Let me make a couple of points about that. And the first two points are opposite, opposite uh, poles, one, one uh, compared to the others. Let me start with the uh, let me start with the harder one and to challenge you in this respect. Jesus, that's what this is all about. Jesus goes on in Matthew to say, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. This is a pastoral warning. Certainly being in the covenant is not sufficient. And I would encourage you and challenge you that sometimes harlots and hookers, harlots and hookers will end up in the kingdom before those who are hypocrites in the kingdom. That God can replace us with harlots and hookers when we're arrogant and we will not hear the words of Jesus, we will not submit to them and cry out to God for mercy. Which is another way to say, just like Nathan said to David, he can say to Troborst or to anyone here, if we're hypocrites, you are that man. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that those who sit in the pews and those who proclaim the Word 
can be hypocritical. Drastically so, radically so. So I challenge you. I challenge you sexually. That's the the drift, if you will, of the text, at least in the accounts of these women. One man, one woman serving each other only. Maybe some of you are angry and you're angry in the home. You, you smile at church. Great. I'm happy that you smile at church. But the drive home or Sunday night is not so nice for those in your household. Maybe you're bitter. At some level, you're bitter. You're mad. You will not give it up. Maybe you're lazy. And maybe then this Advent season, what you could do, instead of going to Stewart's and buying some more eggnog, is that you would actually fast and say, Lord, I want to deal with my heart. I want to deal with my tongue. I want to deal with what I'm struggling with. I want to confess to those around me. Knowing that harlots and hookers and prostitutes can enter into the kingdom of God before we do. Yes? So that's one pole. One point over here. Now I'm going to try to encourage you. I'll try. This is the greatest story. Now you couldn't make it up that it is a bizarre account of imperfect people being used by God and being forgiven by God and being brought into the kingdom. That God works with very, very imperfect people who even fail, and then they fail again, and then they fail again. Let that be no excuse to go and fail on purpose one more time. But it is a great testimony of God's grace that he even works in Manasseh's life, who repents. That he works through Ruth and Rahab and Tamar. And maybe some of us here are discouraged. And maybe you're discouraged because, yeah, you had an understanding, I used to have this understanding, that the Christian life was very, very simple. You know, you began down here and your sanctification just went up one step and then up one step and then up one step and, and, then, and then you'd be really, really holy. Well, may that be the case. I'm not against that. 
but sometimes our progress is like this, and then like this, and then like this, and then sometimes we think 10, 10 years ago, I didn't have this problem. I didn't sin in this way then, and now look at me. And my point then is to, to that is, how do I say this? If these clowns that we find in Genesis chapter 1 have been included in the kingdom, these sinners, and yes, even these harlots, if God is gracious in that respect, well, just keep on going back to Him. Keep on going back to Him. I failed today. I shouldn't have said that. I failed today. But go back and confess and repent and talk to the person that you sinned against if that's the case. God deals with outcasts, adults. Adults. Okay, very, 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 very imperfect people. And he calls them saints. He is the God of second chances. And he welcomes you back. When we, when Elder Chris, when we read the law, and then we confess, and he reads the he read, the, he read from Romans 8, 1 and 2, right? The assurance of pardon, or I'm not sure what language you have in the bulletin. You should believe it, that as the servant of God reads that, that you are forgiven by the living God, even despite your sin. The Psalm 32 is a great one, right? That I was heavy, the sin was heavy upon me, right? But then, then I confessed. Then I confessed. And that weight went away. So don't be like a horse or the mule. Don't be stupid. Confess. Be humble. Come clean. Say what needs to be said. Do what needs to be done. Show the fruits of, the fruits of uh, repentance. That's number two. And then number three, lastly... If Jesus witnessed to tax collectors and sinners and arguably hookers, that is, He dined with them and spent time with them and invited them into the kingdom, I encourage you to do the same. Properly understood and qualified. Which is my way of saying, you've got this beautiful event. You're not fasting next, uh, next Sunday at 5.30. Okay. But invite somebody. Go out of your way. Somebody who, in one sense, believes but hasn't been the church in ten years. Somebody who's never been the church. Tell them, we've got good news. There's forgiveness. There's good food. There's people who love you and will, will, will serve you. <clears throat> Invite your old drinking buddies from high school. Invite them all. And may they know of God's goodness and of God's, God's grace. So this is more than a sordid story. This is a great story. And we're thankful that he has included us in this story. And may God apply it to our hearts this Advent season.
Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for every name in his genealogy. And thank you that you have made us sons and daughters of the King. Apply this word now unto our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.